Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good evening, afternoon, slash morning, whatever. I am Rod Kolick, and this is Ghost Chronicles International, that fabulous show where we talk about all things international and drink a lot of wine and so forth. I, uh, anyways, with me is, no, that's the other show, and Annie, I drink all of wine. So anyways, with me now is the gold standard and ghost hunter, freshly back from his appearance on In Search of what fabulous Zach. And he is none other than Steve Parson. Good afternoon. How are you? I hope I find you well. I do. I do. I'm hey, so pleased to hear that. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, we talked about In Search of, and I was just watching uh, In Search of. My son came over and his uh, fiance, and we were watching the old one with uh, the, the real Dr. Spock. Ah, the old ones were the better ones. And I like one in the They had one on haunted castles. Cool. And that, that was kind of cool, actually. It was very, very cool. And uh, they did one of the uh, stories was on the Screaming Skull. And uh, one of the screaming skulls. Yeah, so one of what, the many screaming skulls. <laughs> well, uh, that's kind of my son asked me that, and I, I and I I didn't know quite how sh- how to answer it because I wasn't really sure. Is the screaming skull a English phenomenon? It does seem to be. Um, I don't know of any in the U.S. for for sure. Um, there may well be, but mm-hmm. it does seem to be something that is peculiarly British. We have um, probably about eight or nine, maybe more, um, that I'm aware of. They all seem to date from a... Well, I mean, each one has got its own legend and story. Right. Uh, usually, they're, they're fairly similar in stories, and that um, somebody who... Well, are they really? To, Quite similar, yeah. I mean, in, in a lot, uh, in some of them, it seems to be someone who was attached to a building in life and desired to remain there, and woe betide anybody that removed them. Um, in others, it's the, uh, and there are several where it's the the skull is said to be that of a martyr. Um, there are other variations on those on those themes. The one I, so what I saw today, which I don't believe I heard before I uh, checked, I have a few of my book, is that uh, it was a, uh, a a slave, a black slave from Africa. And I, I think that one's the, the one in Gloucester, isn't it? Um, uh, in the Forest of Dean, isn't that Little Dean Hall? Yeah, I think it is Little Dean Hall, and that's the one he, where he wanted. He was a prince in his own country. He wanted to be buried in his own country. Yeah, they, there, they... There, there are many variations on on the legends, and I mean, obviously, they're all lost to the mists of time. Right. So the truth may never be known, but they do exist, and they're absolutely and, real. And you know, the, you can go along to some places. That's and what I was going to ask you. How many? How many of them are, are still around? Um. Actually, most of them are still around because they get, nobody's brave enough to get rid of them. Uh, <laughs> and some of them have tried. <laughs> and, yeah, 
<laughs> well, according to the legend, there have been many attempts to get rid of them. Some of them are now uh, out of public view and you can't access them or look at them. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them have always been sealed so that mm-hmm. they're not viewable. But right. one or two of them are uh, publicly viewable. Um, right. you know, or they're in glass-fronted cabinets or display cases or now, niches in the wall. Can you, can you correct me if I'm wrong? And this is not a screaming skull, but it is a skull. Wasn't a skull found at Borley? Uh, there were two. Oh, the, fir- sure. the, f- the first being uh, wrapped in brown paper, uh, found in by the cupboard, the, right? Found by, in the cupboard by the the wife of the Reverend Guy Smith, mm-hmm. uh, who arrived uh, after the, the after the rectory had been empty for a year following the uh, death of the Reverend Harry Bull, the second of the Bull uh, incumbents. Mm-hmm. The latter skull, well, a partial skull, is more accurate. Uh, it was found after Borley had uh, been mostly destroyed by fire and was in the process of demolition and was found during excavations that were conducted under the watch of Harry Price in the in 1946, I believe, 46, 47. That ended up being buried at Liston Church um, by the Reverend A.C. Henning. And there's a famous photograph that's right. uh, that's that's sort of available on the internet and in, in you know what in, is it? exactly and that shows price and henning at the burial of the fragment which was essentially a fragment of jawbone now there are various stories around that jawbone um it was said to have been re-excavated um by investigators or ghost hunters mm-hmm. uh, in the 80s um mm-hmm. it's there are there are its present whereabouts are actually unknown. Really, mm-hmm. uh, but you never know. You know, no, you never know. That's the thing. It's always so interesting. I mean, if if it ever came to light, it would be you know uh, amazing, assuming, right? Assuming that it's not buried, if it ever came to light, I mean, you know, one of the cool things you could do, for example, would be to have it DNA tested. Right, um, and that would be you know that would be a cool thing to have done. Or you could put it on your shelf and just look at it every day. And well, why would you want hand. to do that? I mean, that's just yeah. sick. Hold it in your hand and talk that's, to it. That's just sick. No, you don't. Don't people have ashes of their loved ones and they talk to know, them all the time? Yeah, they do. And again, that's that's. Well, I've always found that as a bit strange. You know, let the dead. <laughs> let, let, oh, let, oh, you let English the, are so funny. Let the dead rest. You know, don't keep digging them. You know, it's like that old joke, isn't it? Mama can I play with grandma. No, you've dug her up three times this week already. Oh, I like that joke. I really do. Yeah. So. Um... Yeah. yeah, we do have bits and bobs. I mean, Anne Winsford's actually, we should have asked her last week, because she's got two skulls. Um, oh, seriously? Yeah, one of which um, I, I've, I very nearly pipped it to the post on, but it was way out of my price bracket. Oh. Uh, when we were in the, at the ASAP conference in Bath uh, in 2017, uh-huh. There was an antiques and curio shop in the town of Bath, and they were sh- they were they were selling a human skull from the Tudor period with provenance underneath a glass bell jar, um, and it was expensive. Uh, but yeah. Anne spared no expense, and she took it home to live on the shelf with her other skull. See, kind of company. That's a nice thing, you know. Mm. 
So I hope, I, I hope that they weren't fit two female skulls because you can imagine the two well, gossip, no, endlessly no. gossiping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, I was going to ask him: Has she ever done any like? Well, I don't know. This does Dan? Yeah, Dan. Does Anne do uh, uh, EVPs at all, or, or attempt to? Well, as you know, Anne's PhD is is uh, primarily focusing on studying EVP. But no, right. Um, Anne has never sat down, and I don't think Anne would ever sit down and try and talk to one of them. Um, but what, what about uh, parasites? Wouldn't that be a good project? Because the, the reason, right, whether you believe in, in EVPs or not, is that you have these screaming skulls. It would be interesting well, we don't have to screaming see. skulls, but neither of Anne's has shown any propensity towards screaming or... Well, maybe the batteries are drained, so if we uh, <laughs> put it next to a, uh, a little uh, Van de Graaff generator, we may produce enough energy for it to do it, or, or maybe we can get uh, our, uh, our friend, uh, the Ghost Finder General, uh, to uh, use his... Uh, oh, what the... yeah. 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 Yeah, whatever it was called. I have no clue. The, uh, what was that called? I can't think of it as that horrible. <laughs> <laughs> it was wacky, wasn't it? Because you sort of uh, had a plasma ball and was a laser it? and Wait a minute, the, was stone it the, sh- the stone tape generator, generator, or yeah. something along those lines. It was in Parascience, right? Yeah. When him, him and Derek Accord did Parascience, uh, psychic and science. Oh, sorry, yeah, Parascience is your yeah. group, isn't it? I was going to say uh, one of the reasons why uh, I don't think Anne would ever. Or parasites would ever place an EVP device next to one of Anne's skulls, or indeed any screaming skull. Is it? Mm-hmm. It presupposes that they can, in fact, communicate. And whilst there is good evidence to support the idea that there is electronic communication with a spirit realm, yes, um, both Anne and I subscribe to the idea that the, 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 if the research is valid, it's it's more along the lines that was being carried out by the World ITC Congress. Yes, but Steve, see, Steve. But it's this done is, under controlled conditions. Not this is exactly what I was going to say, is that now you, you have the opportunity to investigate uh, two human skulls. Of course, huh? neither one of us have any, any reports of, uh, of communication or screaming or anything, but yet you can attempt to uh, not communicate. I, I don't want to use the word communicate, but attempt to study these skulls under controlled laboratory conditions to see if there is any validity to. Well, the problem is, firstly, it's not controlled laboratory conditions because but, and, but, and, well, and doesn't have the doesn't have access to, for example, a fully. Uh, electromagnetically shielded Faraday cage. So yes, know, but you have one, my friend, and I know you do. You yes, very, I do have one called the yes, Vault. Yes, you do. Uh, so I, I don't see the problem three here. Centime- three centimeters of electromagnetically shielded lead plate. Um, uh-huh. It comprises ours with with integral brass meshing inside it to make uh-huh. a fully electrically bonded seal. Yes, we do have one, but we've got no desire to because. Well, you know, that's, uh, as a member of parascience, yeah. uh, I would like to propose that uh, we bring yeah. that up at the next meeting so that we can put that on the agenda so that we can discuss this further. Okay. <laughs> I, I shall. I, next time Anne's on, because Anne has an EVP device, I have the vault, she has the skulls, I suggest that you, you speak to my fellow coordinator and... Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. 
See what she says, and no doubt she'll remind you that parasites isn't a democracy. <laughs> <laughs> like, ev- like every woman does, right? <laughs> like any GP is no democracy. Uh, we take on board people's ideas and suggestions, but to be honest with you, uh, we've had no desire or interest to pursue that line because um, Anne, Anne is involved in looking at EVP for sure, and mm. we have an interest in EVP, but neither of us have had, have got any real interest in this modern trend of trying to explore haunted objects with EVP. Well, I, now, I, that's you know, not to say... Very, wait a minute. I am very much into psychometry, you know that, so I, 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 I find it very intriguing in several levels uh, that people can pick up, you know, random things from, I mean, random impressions uh, from objects. So... Uh, if I were to get, for instance, uh, and, and I think I may have one. I think I just might have a piece of a skull somewhere. But if I had, was able to Does get a hold scream? of I, I don't know. I really don't. Um, but if when you come over here in, in, what, two weeks, two and a half weeks now? And funnily enough, I'm packing an EVP device. And uh, But we would need some type of a shilling device to, to I, make this You've got no chance. It weighs 30 kilograms. Right, but maybe there's that's something six, that... That's nearly 70 of your American pounds. Okay, so... <laughs> that's not going to fly. That hurts. It's uh, not going to fly. In fact, it barely moves, <laughs> except it's on, except when it's on wheels. Yeah. So if, if we was to... If you were, to, when you were over here, to help me design a, uh, a, uh, okay. a, a special device for this to put for shielding. Well, and, I mean, yeah, I can certainly help, sit, help and sit down with me and work out the experiment that we were going to do. And I, I think that this is something I would like to pursue. If, if you well, do you know, do you know what? Yeah, I mean, certainly I can I can give you and leave you all of the plans and instructions to build another vault, another EMF shielding <laughs> vault. <laughs> it is, it is, it because at the moment, uh, after it was tested, I only built it as a whim. Uh, after after well, there was a baby vault. Sorry, but you build this thing as a whim, but you're not really to do it. Well, actually, no. Uh, I, I built the, I, I built the first one as part of, interestingly, an EVP experiment that was planned uh, for last year. Uh-huh. Um, but then I thought, well, ha- you know, gosh darn it, I might as well go all out and um, make a bigger version that can be used with more equipment should I need it down the line. Mm-hmm. Now. You know me. Um, I don't like to do stuff by halves. So with 30 kilos of lead, um, about two meters of brass shielding, um, mesh, wires, and all, all sorts of other things. Because this thing not only has to be lead shielded, um, and it's still not proof against sort of things like cosmic radiation or gamma radiation. Yeah, right, exactly. Uh, but, it, I mean, it does actually have internal, um, between the lead, the lead layers, there are also mit- other materials to help mitigate the, the effects of cosmic and gamma radiation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you're down now to almost immeasurably small amounts, but it also has to be, uh, has to be electrically grounded. Right. Um, and a full continuous electrical grounding, you know. Um, but what I've done is I've actually uh, electrically grounded not only the outside skin of the um, the aluminum outer skin, but also the inner aluminum skin. So uh, it's double it's double earthed. Mm. 
So now, at mean, the moment, I haven't been able to measure anything inside it. Now, we go back to, to some of the mediums, and, and there's the famous one in uh, the UK. Uh, Are there? Yeah, there's this one or two. Uh, that used to play the accordion under the table. And well, they that, was built, quite pop, that was quite popular in the Victorian era. And, and they built a cage around it. Was, was that, they did. that was Harry, that, that was Price. No, that was Harry Price. Um, okay. what, he, what he did, well, he, he had built a fine wooden table. Mm-hmm. And beneath the fine wooden table, um, there was a wire mesh gauze box. And it was only accessible via the top of the table, uh, into which was cut at a, a very slight angle, a very close-fitting panel, mm-hmm. which allowed the box to be lifted out through the top of the table. It was the only way of accessing the contents of the box. Uh, in fact, the, 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 the carpentry on the box was so fine. Uh, we, we looked at the plans about five or six years ago to look at possibly replicating it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the cost of material and, um, to get, and to get the cabinet maker to build it was just prohibitive. Uh, but you, you couldn't have slid a cigarette paper into this, into this finely um, crafted joint. But, but in, into the box would be put uh, perhaps musical instruments, um, other devices were placed into the box and to see what ultimately happened is uh, during one of the seances the table got smashed to match wood oh, by, the, by the psychic forces and uh, having seen the plans and realised what it was made of that mm-hmm. took quite some considerable force mm-hmm. but nonetheless it was according to Price reduced to match wood and indeed there are photographs of it so let me ask you this, Steve, and I, I know you're a, a very uh, a good, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, not aficionado, but uh, Harry Price is, is you, you know a he's, lot about he's him. He's been influential in my life. Yeah, that's, that's a good way to, put, way to put it. So do you think that all the things that he published are factual and not in, in uh, what's the word, like embossed or uh, what's the word, uh, you know, embellished? Embellished in any ways. I I wouldn't I I think yes there is with some of his stories is clearly embellishing um, okay. because one of the things that Price realised and and very very much ahead of the game because these uh, what Price was uh, his primary motivation was to try to make psychical research or parapsychology as he as he sometimes referred to it to become an academic pursuit. So it's like the dive bombing um, to become an academic pursuit. And what he realizes in order to to push, promote this aim, he needed to he needed to get the public on side because he basically the academics weren't weren't having any of it. Oh, that's a surprise. And so he fully engaged with the media. He he worked with uh, radio. He worked with magazines, with newspapers, and he wrote his books. And he realized that. Not just an account of the experiences, which could be quite dry, but you also, there is an element of storytelling. Plus, um, I, I, I don't think you could call it embellishment, uh, but what he, he had to do in order to make the books readable and of a suitable length, because, mm-hmm. you know, is he had to uh, be selective in, in, in parts of the storytelling and editing. So 
Yeah, I, I think like all good storytellers, um, I think they are predominantly based upon his experiences, but with an element of storytelling in order to make them readable and accessible. You know, it's, it's a very difficult thing. You, you yourself uh, have written books, and it, it's often quite difficult to recount an experience or a story or an event. Oh, amen on that. And, and you know what's funny, Steve? Is and you that... do have to resort to editing. And not only that, uh, it, it, it's so true because when we wrote, of course, our new book, which is coming out October 1st, book, Ghost Chronicles, in uh, the original book, Ghost Chronicles, is we try to be as factual as possible. And uh, when we wrote these books, of course, we wrote them after the fact, after mm-hmm. the investigations are over. And, and some of the things we thought happened didn't yeah. really happen. It wasn't until we went back into the, the video and the audio and, and realized, oh, wow, we thought of it one way, but it, it, it came another way. So, yeah, yeah exactly. the, mind, the mind is a funny thing. It, it does uh, embellish on its own, I guess, or, or uh, look at things differently. Than yeah. on its own. I mean, notwithstanding the, the, the faculties of memory and, and um, misremembering events, but I mm-hmm. think in order to write a readable account of an experience, it is necessary to edit to push up something uh, in some areas to try to convey to the reader something of the experience. And so you do tend to give greater emphasis to different sections and reduce emphasis or even remove parts that are, frankly, dull and boring. Right, exactly. I mean, you know as a ghost hunter how many times you're doing nothing. You can't put that in a book, though, because you lose your reader. Well, I mean, could you imagine trying to write a true and accurate account of a one of those types of investigations where nothing happens, which are the predominant ones? Uh, <laughs> it, would, it would make for very dull reading. So what Price was doing, and he got a great deal of criticism for doing this, uh, which is a very... He was very modern and forward-thinking in his ideas of engaging with the public. He captured the public's imagination in a way that no other investigator had really done before him. Um, But throughout all of his books and articles and newspapers, it is essentially the truth. Um, With the obvious caveats of he was also telling a, a story for public consumer mm-hmm. now if you look at if you look at uh, the journals that were published by his laboratory the national laboratory for psychical research <laughs> of accounts of experiments they are written in a much more dry uh, scientific hand that don't make for accessible re- uh, as accessible reading when compared to um, his books or when compared to the the things he did for the popular magazines and press. He got a great deal of criticism because they said, oh, he's just publicity-seeking. And Well, yes, he was publicity-seeking because he needed publicity to help promote his aim. Right. Which was the psychical... Yeah, the academic study of the subject. He wanted very much... And he offered his uh, experience, his library financial support to a number of British and foreign institutions, um, none of whom were readily forthcoming in accepting it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, it's all intriguing stuff, and uh, it, it's difficult, too, uh, to, uh, you know, go through. Oh, and it, it, this is the other thing I wanted to talk about is, is so if you were to really want to learn, learn about Perry Price's 
experiments and, and mm -hmm. investigations. The, where would where would you go? Would you go to his books, or would you go somewhere else? Um, well, there are several websites that give some information, um, but the man himself, his books are still available. Um, they're getting, they've been through various editions and prints and reprints. And of mm -hmm. course, there are several books that, that set out to criticise Price. Mm -hmm. um, there was a British psychical researcher called Trevor Hall who had, who spent most of his literary career trying to do unto Price. But Price, um, I mean, Leaves from a Psychist Casebook or Poltergeist Over England, uh, both of which are essentially the biographies of Price and his experiences, mm -hmm. are, are two that I would recommend. Um, they, they, they give bits of all of his cases and investigations, because Ghost hunting was only a very small part of what he actually did. Um, he tested and worked alongside some of the, the greatest and leading psychic mediums of the day mm -hmm. and examined and studied them. And he was never afraid to, to you know, if he found that fakery or fraud was afoot, mm -hmm. uh, he was never afraid of shouting foul. But, but did, he, did he enter in with open mind or, or was he pretty well, much drawn also, on one side or the other? Well, he was also equally... Uh, vociferous in defending those mediums that he had tested and he believed to be genuine, uh, such as Stella Cranshaw. So he he was a man who called it and said it as he found it. Um, you know, he would conduct his own research, he would conduct his experiments, and he would uh, state the results as he found them. And if they were positive results in favour of something, he was not afraid of, of saying so. Equally, he was never afraid of uh, criticising uh, anybody he found wanting or, or playing tricks or games. Yeah, and I know we're coming up to the break, but what was his relationship with uh, Sir Arthur and Conan Doyle, or did they have one? Oh, they had a very good, uh, a very long relationship, one of based on love and hate. Um, that, uh, there was a long, a lot of letters that went back and forth between them. Um, Doyle would would write to Price congratulating him when Price had come out and said that you know he had studied a medium and they were they, he found them to be excellent, mm -hmm. and Doyle would write and congratulate him on the strength and quality of his work, and then Doyle would write again a few months later criticising uh, Harry for the poor standard of his work um, when Price had come out in favour you know. Um, or came out against the medium and or had exposed the medium as he did with William Crew, uh, the spirit photographer who famously taken a picture of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle with a spirit. And Sir Arthur believed that uh, the spirit was James. Was that, was that William Hope? Uh, it was William Hope in the Crew Circle. Um, yeah. The you know, uh, Sir Arthur had had the picture taken. He believed that it was a genuine spirit um, on the photograph. Price exposed Hope spectacularly using switched photographic plates. Right. Unfortunately, and, we have to take yeah, the break. Sir Arthur now, so. took a yeah. very dim view of it. I actually have another couple of questions between this relationship, cool. and we'll talk about it when we come back from the break. Uh, you're listening to Ghost Chronicles International right here on Tojinet Radio and also Pararex Radio with uh, Steve Parsons. The gold standard and goes something in New England's own Van Helsing, Ron Kolak. We'll be right back after the following messages.
Welcome to Toginet, radio with a cutting edge. Hi, Steve Parsons here looking for sea monsters in Tenby, West Wales. And I'll be over in New England looking for your sea monsters this coming fall. Join me, Ron Kolek, and a host of others at Spirit Quest 2018. We'll see you there. Mysterious and spooky, the all talk ugly gooky, the Parrax family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Parrax family. They're strange, deranged, unrestrained. So grab your favorite brew, it's time to rendezvous as we give awards to the Parrax family. Welcome back to part two of Ghost Chronicles International, where we're talking about Sir Arthur Conan Price and Harry Houdini Doyle, amongst other things, with your twin hosts, Ron Colek, New England's very own Van Helsing, and the girl Sander in Ghost Hunting. On with really? the show. Really? Okay. So He's not in Tembe looking for sea monsters. Are you aware when you There's an unfortunate. It? There's an unfortunate. Um, Wait, lack but of who was there when you recorded it? So I know. But I'm just saying there was a. On playback, there's an unfortunate lack of a pause, isn't there, where I say, join me, Ron Kolek. Have you noticed that? Yeah, well, I have an English accent. People just thought it was me, so. Yeah, there we are, then. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm practically English. I mean, you know, other than, other than other than Rick Hale, I'm probably the closest thing you ever get. Yeah. 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 Anyways. We have a quick, so, we, uh, John made a comment in the uh, chat room. You did? Ad- addressed to you. Really? Yeah. You better answer it quick because, uh, it, I don't know, it, it's before we lose the Carolinas in Virginia. Are you going to write a new book with Anne? Like Ron and Anne's Big Adventure? Uh, no, John, because Anne, well, I have have asked her to contribute to my new book, which is I'm working on already, but uh, she declined. Uh, she's a, too busy of a girl, unfortunately. Uh, life's so sad. Anyway, he offer enough. He obviously didn't he offer enough uh, wine. Yeah, that's why you got to get a drunk to sign the contract, and then we'll be all set. <laughs> Good idea, Steve. I like you. Anyway, well, actually, it could be cheaper than that. Really? Yeah, two lobsters. Well, she expects that anyways. That's going to cost you. I'm not going, I'm not picking up the tab for that one. <laughs> so anyways, uh, we, before the break, we were talking about the relationship between Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and Harry Price. But uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was, was very, very much into the, uh, the spiritualism. I mean, he was. And, 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 you know, not only did Harry Price on your side of the pond, but over here, 
Uh, of course, Houdini and him were, were uh, correspondents at one time. And, and even uh, my research on uh, Thomas Gwendolyn Hamblin, when he held his seances in, uh, up in uh, Canada, uh, Sir Arthur Coyle, uh, yeah, Sir Arthur, yeah, Sir Arthur Coyle. Coyle and Doyle. Yeah, Coyle and Doyle actually <laughs> attended some of those. So uh, it, it's intriguing. Uh, but he was a devout spiritualist, so he he, he wasn't as open-minded as the other people we talked about, though. He wasn't open-minded in the slightest. Um, no. Absolutely not. Uh, I mean, he came late to the party. He was he was sceptical at first. And mm-hmm. His wife was a medium. Lady, Lady Doyle was a, a psychic. Yeah. Um, but once he became convinced, he... he he became, yeah, he, he both feet, both arms and over his head and became a, a vociferous exponent for spiritualism as a religion. He toured the world. He toured Australia, uh, North America, Canada. Um, interestingly, I was looking through some Sir Arthur papers um, a few months ago, and I meant to tell you at the time, he also... um the dragon? No, but oh. he was, he communicated with Hammond. Um, really? Oh, Hammond! That, there you go. This, that, that's excellent. He didn't. He. Uh, I can't. I don't think he ever visited. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not. I'm not. I don't think that they ever met, but they communicated uh, and, by letter, and for which is it's hardly surprising. Yeah. For those who don't know, what we're talking about we're talking about uh, uh, Hammond from uh, Gloucester, who uh, uh, did quite a bit into uh, psychic research. Well, not quite a bit, but he's the the father of remote control and. And he holds second number of patents to uh, to uh, Edison, but uh, he also delved in the the I hate to say occult. How would you say it? Uh, well, he was into, he was he studied spiritualism. Spiritualism, uh, that's good. And, and, and he'd also communicated with Sir Oliver Lodge, um, and that's I think that may be how Hammond gets into spiritualism because he's communicating with Lodge over his electrical devices. And his inventions, because Sir Oliver Lodge was uh, one of the world's leading physicists. Yeah, I see, and some Lodge, people on this side of things don't know who he was. So well, Lodge, Lodge is also the inventor of the fluorescent light tube and um, contributed. Wait a minute, great... I thought that. Wait a minute, I thought that was uh, Tesla. Uh, no, it was Lodge. Really? Yeah. And worked on the um, worked on the early advent of radio, um, but. At some point, he was communicating with Hammond, and now Lodge, uh, this is conjecture, Lodge was uh, also a, a member of the Society for Psychical Research, uh, and had been since um, before, during World War I, um, and he wrote the books of his own experiences, um, entitled Raymond, which was the spirit communication with his deceased son who'd been killed in the First World War. Uh, now, Lodge... Uh, may have been the introduction for Hammond to take an interest in the subject. But at some point, there's no doubt that Hammond did communicate with Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. So, so Steve, I mean, here we have back in that time, we have a lot of people doing, you know, some serious research into... A lot of eminent people, Sir William Crooks. Yeah, and eminent people. Why don't we see that today? Why don't we have that same enthusiasm as, as we did back then? Well, the modern scientific viewpoint from from the likes of Professor Brian Cox and um, others is is one that there is nothing left to explain that it's all it's all bunkum. 
and they 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 go on the record. You know, they've been on on many many programs and and uh, in writing saying mm. as such that there is nothing to it. It's bunkum, and if you believe in ghosts, and you're slightly wow 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 wow. wow. Um, but you wind the clock back a hundred years um, to to well, just over a hundred years, and mm. you had. Some of the world's leading scientists, William Crookes, um, Sir, uh, Sir Oliver Lodge, and many, many others who yeah, were... You had people like Edison, Tesla. Edison, and, Tesla. Uh, all, Hammond, of whom, uh, you know. all of whom didn't dismiss it with a wave of the hand. They set up experiments. I mean, uh, Michael Faraday. Uh, Faraday, yeah. There's one Robert there. Hare, the American uh, chemist, Robert Hare, was one of the very first people to test the idea of spirit communication uh, by by way of de- in, uh, creating devices um, in order to see if it was possible and to rule out the, 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 the person. Um, and her developed a device that used uh, quite delicate spring balances in order to measure psychic forces that may be being em- em- emanating from the medium. Oh, that's, that's intriguing. Um, so we we have uh, the modern science doesn't seem to explore it in in the in the same way, um, and I think that's a loss. And that's what Harry Price was saying because this was something that hadn't that isn't a modern thing. This was starting to come about. Um, after after the First World War, um, mm-hmm. I, and Price was trying desperately to say, "No, look, people, there is something serious taking place. There is, you know, there are people having experiences. There are real things taking place. We don't people, understand them, but, but we, we can't don't just understand them. them. And you, as scientists, need to take a responsible now. Go away. just go, just go. Yeah, and and people, you know, as scientists, you need to take a responsible view of this and set up departments and to set up experiments and to set up research programs mm-hmm. to to study these real phenomena. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, that, that great sort of hue and cry has been taken up by Joe Nicol and um, Sir, uh, Richard Watt, Professor Richard Wiseman in the UK, and yeah. they make a great career out of... Uh, yeah, that's the intriguing thing. I mean, they, they dismiss the the other side of it because they're, they're, uh, they're all, you know, quacks, they're all just trying to make money, blah, 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 and yet they do the same thing. Uh, and, you know, it, it's... I don't know, it's it's sad, that's all. Well, I, th- I think some of them have, uh, you know... It, it, there are professional, you know, there are many believers, there are very many believers who believe some extraordinary things, like, for example, and I know it's something called chemtrails, the earth is flat. Uh, there's a guy, there's a guy in um, Walton. Is that is, is Walton just outside Boston? Uh, Walton, New Hampshire, I think it is. All right. Well, this guy goes down to Star Island, um, Boston by the airport. Oh, OK. Yeah, Star Island. Right. All right. And. So- and he produces videos on YouTube. Wilmington? Wilmington or... No, he's, I'm sure it's Walton. Anyway, okay. um, right, I'll, right, I'll right. check again. But his, his YouTube channel is called Enslaved by No Media. Uh-huh. And I, I, if, if people want to stare aghast at somebody who believes that aeroplanes are held up by the power of air, um, in, uh, or sorry, propelled by the power of air, Mm-hmm. And that the world is flat, and there's no such thing as gas. The uh, gasoline is a hoax, and uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, this guy is—he is absolutely the cream of uh, the pick of the litter. So, what are we putting in our cars? Uh, <laughs> Just curious. 
it's all fakery. They put some sticky stuff in there. He's got he's got pictures. Aircraft can't fly at more than five thousand feet. They can't go more than hundred miles an hour. Of course not. That the you know they can't possibly carry the weight of aviation fuel in order to cross the Atlantic. No, no, no. Because because you know that's fifty two gas tankers and it doesn't fit into the wings of a boat. Isn't it intriguing that we have people that? Back in the, the early days of aviation, that were doing that, and and there was propellers and no jet fuel and, and everything else. So, whatever. You know, well, the guy. The, funny enough, the guy went on a flight there a couple of weeks ago from Boston to see oh. his friend in Washington. He actually flew. Yeah, and he produced a video afterwards proving that the the, the although the aircraft was supposed to be at thirty thousand feet, um, the Google Earth is lying. Uh, because he, he was comparing the shots he'd taken out of the cabin window with his wide-angle smartphone to Google Earth images and said that they weren't matching, and therefore that proved that Google Earth was lying as part of a NASA conspiracy to hide the fact that the Earth is flat. I know. And, and uh, the space program I worked on was shot in the sound studio in Texas. So Yeah, yeah that's yeah. the one. That's yeah. the one, yeah. Um, so anyways, this, this, this okay. guy is a real cracker. I'd love yeah. him to come to Spirit Quest. Yeah, yeah, that would be... Interesting. So, I want to get back to what we were talking about. Yeah, sorry. Serious scientific research back in the day, which with some of the most prominent names, and and these were these were just you know, as we have today, so many people just running around after work. These these were uh, you know um, the absolute Nobel award winning scientists. These were the absolute. Uh, top scientists. Think of the most famous and important scientists. I, um, Einstein. Um, you know, these were the Einsteins of their day. Oliver Lodge, Tesla, um, Edison. Yeah, I mean, Crooks. I mean, if you're wearing sunglasses today, thank William Crooks for it because he invented Crooks glass, which was glass that blocked ultraviolet light. Hmm. And in fact, the very first uh, sunglasses, which had clear glass lenses, um, were called Crooks glasses, and we used either in laboratories to block ultraviolet light, um, or indeed were used as um, you know eye protection. Actually, they were pure. Uh, when I took Yes, you did. No, yes, you do. Yes, you do. They are Crooks, and they are indeed Crooks glass. No, I have my own. My own. Pair oh. that, that that was these this. Clear no. glass. No, you have a pair of. No, no, no. I have my own pair. Nothing to do with you. All right. Well, if they're clear glass, they are Crooks glass, invented by Sir William Crooks, who is a leading scientist oh, researcher. Huh. Huh. Pretty cool. All right. So she did, uh, on, you know, did this on his day off. Right. And back at, and back in the the day, we also had uh, you know prestigious groups like the Society for Cycle Research and the Ghost. We Town. still have. And uh, amazingly, isn't that? And uh, you, you are a member of the SPR, right? I am. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I wanted to ask you about, because Steve has recently updated the spontaneous case. What, what is it called, Steve? It's the guidance notes for investigators of spontaneous cases. Or in other words, it's guidance notes for ghost hunters. Okay, so I, I want to kind of ask you about that. Now, yes. this, they had originally published a book 
called that, right, or something similar? Yeah, uh, the title has a slight variation, but there was an edition published in the 1950s. There was a new edition published in 1968. There was a four-page revision that was done in 1996, but it was horribly... You can imagine a book written in 1968 in comparison to today. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, in the 1970s, it was considered perfectly okay for two grown men to spend the night in the child's bedroom while the two girls slept. And I'm referring, <laughs> and I'm referring to the Enfield case. You're right, exactly. Yeah, that would be utterly unacceptable today. Oh, of course, of course. Um, so things did need to be rewritten. Uh-huh. And uh, the council of the SPR commissioned me to get on with it and write write a new edition of that book. Is that book available anywhere for sale? It became available on the 1st of September. Uh, it will be on Amazon later this year. It's currently available directly from the Society for Psychical Research London, and their web address is www.spr.ac.uk. Will it be available at SpiritQuest? Uh, limited stocks will be available at Spirit Quest, oh, and excellent. they are fifteen dollars signed. Fifteen dollars, fifteen US. We don't have dollars in the UK anymore. Uh, fifteen dollars signed, fifteen dollars unsigned, or fifteen dollars if you buy them direct from the um, Society of Psychical Research, right. and that includes postage and uh, overseas postage. So in right. the US, it's fifteen bucks. And, and and if you want Steve to spit on them and give a DA, DNA sample, <laughs> uh, they're twenty dollars. They're thirty. Yeah, they're thirty dollars. Oh, thirty dollars. Sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, you don't give away. They could clone me. It could be like yeah, Jurassic. That's right. That's that's. Could be like Jurassic Park, couldn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We'd have all these little Steves running around. Created out of yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> Moving on. I, that's that's an image I don't Moving want to see. Wait a minute. That's killing me. It'd be like the oh god, no, yeah, forget it. I was just thinking those little But yeah, pieces. I mean luggage restraints mean that only a limited stock will be available. Yeah. Well what was those things that they used to have that oh my god, those oh, forget it. I gotta get this out of my head. Just clear it, clear head, clear head. Oh, I was thinking of these little gnome like creatures that were in the horror movie. I can't, can't think of them. Oh, Egg. Oh, yeah. No, I, no, you. I can't. Oh think. God, yeah, little Steves. <laughs> anyway, you singing a Mogwai? The what? Mogwai or Gremlins? Oh yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, did you ever see? Uh, <laughs> uh, did you ever see uh, Spirit? Qu- uh, not Spirit Quest. Galaxy Quest. Don't recall it. Oh, that's a good, it's a great movie. It's a spoof on like Star Trek and everything, but it's great. They go to the this little planet and there are these cute little Steve-like creatures that are running around. But uh, yeah, they're, they're all uh, really nice and everything. Then they they go really spazzoid and they have fangs and everything else. Yes, yeah, so anyways, that would be perfect. Steve. Well, that's what, ha- that's what happens if you don't give me gin after midnight. Yeah, or popcorn on the set evidently. Yeah. <laughs> so anyways i know we have it down so i i did a, i had a question about this book of course the new yes. book that you you wrote for the spr yes. and so how does that vary for instance from uh uh what's his name Christology? no 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 oh. from uh harry price's blue notes uh, blue book well essentially it doesn't because what price did in 1937 um, which was 80 years before the commissioning of the new book, mm-hmm. which weirdly has a blue cover too. Um, 
was to write down the first set of guidance notes for investigators at the Borley Rectory case. Mm-hmm. Now, there were only, he only ever public, uh, printed enough for one each for the investigators and a couple for the library. So they, and it was, the, the book was uh, considered to be private and confidential to those involved with the case. But they were, that does represent um, the very first set of written instructions on how to conduct oneself during a paranormal investigation. Things to consider, things to, um, to do. Now, with the SPR ones, these are not, it's not a a Bible, it's not a you must do, Uh, and I don't think the SPR would ever consider doing a book like that, but what they are are is guidance notes for good practice, because the groups and the individuals who who conduct the investigations, they really need to, they've got to take on board uh, their own groups, their own dynamics, their own needs and beliefs and ideas. Right. Um, and the SPR isn't about squashing them or saying, you must do it this way. Mm-hmm. Um, but what the SPR is, 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 is offering is a resource for uh, obtaining the very best from your investigation opportunity. So it, it, it's a series of guidelines for, uh, it, for all the different types of case that you might encounter and a set of guidelines to allow you to get the very best that you can from that opportunity that you have to investigate. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not it's not a you know it's not a finger wagging. You must do this. Right. Um, so it's very much where, where Harry Price's was, he was the boss. Let's put it that way. Well, well he, he was, was the boss, but he was the Steve Parsons and Ed Winsper of <laughs> the time. <laughs> well, it was his investigation, and it was his team that <laughs> right. he recruited. And yes, he did. But he, he actually, uh, during the investigation, he absented himself uh, because he, A, he was busy, and B, he also realised that he knew a great deal about the case and he could colour the judgment of what took place there. Um, and so he left it largely to um, an assistant called Sydney Gl- Sydney Glanville um, to organise the day-to-day scheduling and collection and collation of material and the the organisation of uh, the teams who would visit and the, the schedule of visits. And then Glanville would also and did collect and collate all of the reports of the investigation, which he which he then presented to Price so that Price could uh, use that then to uh, write a summary of the investigation, which right. became, of course, the, the two books. Mm-hmm. Um, now that combined, I mean, Price had also done. That was one year of, of the twenty years that Price was active with Borley. Um, but Price took a step back at Borley and very much handed it to Glanville, Sydney Glanville, and his son um, to take to take the the, the leading role um, in that in, in that particular uh, year. Mm-hmm. And did the has the Ghost Club ever done any uh, similar books? Uh, no, they haven't. Um, no, they haven't. I mean, the Ghost Club was never primarily an investigation organisation anyway. It, when it was founded in 1862, or thereabouts, um, it, it, it was primarily um, a sort of after-dinner club where people with an interest in ghosts and the like would meet and they would have a meal and they would share stories. It, it's a bit more like Dining with the Dead. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, it, it sort of wilted and then came back and wilted and came back. It, it came back under Harry Price. Uh, 
who who continued to uh, run it in a very similar way. But then when it was rebirthed under Peter Underwood, who was of course the legendary ghost ghost hunter. Mm-hmm. Um, he did a number of investigations under the auspices of the Ghost Club using select members, um, a close sort of inner circle within the Ghost Club. Now, the modern Ghost Club, it does have uh, investigations rather like any other group or society. And um, they, they do visit locations of interest and do conduct investigations in the sense that we understand it today but that's a relatively recent um uh path that the ghost club has taken down now the spr founded in 1882 has you know almost right from the start uh looked at interesting cases relating to hauntings they were amongst the first for example um in the 1890s i think it was um they took rent of, or members of the Society for Psychical Research, took rent on a Scottish property called B- Balecki House, um, okay, yeah. which which they they had for a number of months and were, were intent on pursuing a longer-term investigation. They'd actually rented the building like Price did later. Uh, but a dispute with the owners um, that became quite public and quite heated prevented any further work being done. Of course, it was the SPR um, members and um, investigators that worked on Enfield, and they've worked on many cases down the years. Um, you know, but they have their own spontaneous cases committee. So, uh, so, so it, when you say committee, is, is it very similar to the Ghost Club, where where it's they have their own inner circle? Is that, no, is that what no, you're saying? I mean. The Spontaneous Case Committee is, because the SPR has a broad remit, the Spontaneous Committee is comprised of those people who are either in a position uh, to be able to investigate or have an interest in wanting to investigate um, spontaneous cases, ghosts, hauntings, apparitions, poltergeists, etc. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, it's not, you know, it's not a secret wing of the SPR. It is just a group of people be, uh, who are interested in that, that line of research there are others who are interested in pursuing other areas of paranormal um, studies such so as uh, no actually although there has been members of the SPR involved in UFO research um, mm-hmm. the the Society for Psychical Research tends to predominantly explore those aspects as those faculties of man that relate to psi so we're talking ESP, telepathy, oh, okay, right. ghosts, hauntings, that that spiritualism, of course. Um, and so the the committee, the spontaneous cases committee, is just that group of people within the society who are more interested in that sort, you know, exploring or understanding that sort of phenomena. Mm-hmm. So, uh, can anyone become a member of the SPR? Yes, literally. Um, you just go onto their website where you can buy the book, of course. And the website again is www.spr.ac.uk. And there's a membership page. There's a buy buy books page. There's more than my book available there. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is there is a large access. Members can also access the SPR's extensive library, which is increasingly going online. Um, and plus, really. A lot of the archives are going online as well um, as research research resources. So old case investigations um, will ultimately all start to become um, placed online. That would be awesome. So it is a a fantastic resource. And a large area of it, 
uh, of it, you don't have to be a member to access. So, oh, wow. it, yeah, you, you know, you don't need to be a member of the SPR in order to access the website and use the majority of the resources. Yeah, and I, I know we're just about out of time now, and, and it's uh, it's been a great uh, show with trying to understand what happened uh, to uh, the great interest and the serious interest in the paranormal to today's uh, where we are today. Yeah, today's team. But uh, I want to ask you one more, one more organization, ASAP. Uh, Association for the Scientific Study of Anomalous Phenomena, which was actually formed by a bunch of disgruntled SPR members in 1981 who didn't think that the SPR were doing a very good job at... Um, what they did, and and also considered that the SPR wasn't broad enough because ASAP has a predominant, uh, also has a, a large number of members who are interested in UFOs, Bigfoot, cryptozoology. Mm-hmm. And, and they, these are people who weren't being satisfied by the SPR, I and see. so they they banded together to form this other organisation called ASAP, or okay. as I said, the association. And they got a website which is www.asap.ac.uk. Okay. So, unfortunately, we're out of time, so uh, you'll be uh, jumping on a plane pretty soon, if they can fly. I'm not sure if they can, uh, according to our friend. Uh, I don't know how you're going to get here <laughs> if planes don't work, but uh, I'm sure you could figure it out. Not but you'll sure. be here in uh, a couple of short weeks, right? Two, two, three weeks, maybe? You can see one, two weeks. Two weeks, yeah. Amazing. Two, two weeks this week. You'll, you'll either be flying or walking into Boston uh, yeah, Logan the airport, yeah, uh, just, depending. Yeah, getting there somehow. Somehow. Whatever yeah. uh, flat earthers get here. How they, whatever, however they travel. So, anyways, uh, there are tickets available for Spirit Quest. Join us. Uh, go to anyghostproject.com, the letter N, the letter E, ghostproject.com. Steve will also be doing a uh, ghost and monster cruise on the gundalo, which will be cool. That's on there as well. And, of course, Dining with the Dead. So we do have yeah, to go. We've up, up, uh, That should be more posh now. It should be Dining with the Deceased. No, I don't think so. Till then, <laughs> good night. God bless. Good night. God bless. From goalies to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us good luck. <laughs>